Happy Mother's Day. We spent some time in the first book of the Bible earlier, and uh, we, we talked about creation, and we talked, ladies, about you being the crescendo of all creation. God saved uh, the beauty for last. And then we get to see you uh, often in this crazy sacrificial role. It's really interesting design. Way before the fall, God, God designed you to both be the highlight of all creation and then also to do some of the hardest, most unseen work. And so uh, on a Mother's Day, we want to say, say thank you. And sure, Mother's Day is not enough, but we want to do it nonetheless. It's one of my favorite Sundays to do this, to get to preach. Uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, Mother's Day is always fun to look around and see um, who got dragged here by their mom. So I see you. No, no pressure. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's the third highest attended Sunday of the year for churches. So it's, it's kind of interesting. You got Christmas, the birth of Christ. That kind of makes sense. You've got uh, Easter, the resurrection of Christ. That certainly makes sense. And then you got Mom's Day, which, which tells you who wants to be at church, right? Mom does. And so, so on Mother's Day, people, moms know they can twist your arm, grab your ear, whatever, how, depending on how old you are, and, and get you here. So really glad, really, really glad to have you here, uh, especially with your mom. I think that perhaps that happens because moms value family at a whole nother level. So they just like sitting with their family anytime, anywhere, probably because of all that work they did, but certainly because of the love they have for their children. And then for some of y'all in the room, man, your mom, she's got you here because she wants you to hear the good news again. So let's go ahead and call the elephant in the room. Like We all knew that, right? Like She wanted you to hear the good news again. She wanted you to hear about Jesus because Jesus changed her life, and she's probably told you 500 times the stories about Jesus, and now on Mother's Day you got to come in here and take one for the team. Well, I appreciate it. So I'm going to honor your mother and tell you the gospel, all right? That's, that's what I'm, I'm going to do. The truth is this month, uh, man, we've been praying for you. This is a month where we dedicate every year. We call it Pray May. We, we, we pray more than we normally do. And, and uh, many of us pray for the folks in our radius. And there's nothing like a praying mom. So uh, you've been prayed for. We're actually fasting. If you've ever heard of this thing, it's kind of crazy. We don't eat for 24 hours. And not everybody did this. But 600 and something folks showed up to the amphitheater on uh, Last Wednesday night, many of which fasted. You could tell by how fast the food was gone, right? Like, so, so Russell and several guys brought out the brisket, which was delicious. But when you haven't eaten, it's even better. Like it was world class. It was all gone like in minutes because folks took the day and really with, with the way they ate, they wanted to show the Lord um, that they really want to know what he has for them. Here's Piper's definition of fasting. Fasting is a way to say with our stomach and our whole body, how much we need and want to trust Jesus. And so we asked. We asked on behalf of some of y'all. We asked on our own behalf. It's a good day of pray, prayer. Hey, if you want to participate, we're doing it again this Wednesday night. And the following Wednesday night, we'll be right in here praying. There's going to be food. So if you want to fast on Wednesday, we would love to have you join us. We'll feed you when you, you get here early. And we'll, uh, we'll have a good time of praying again. If you want to pray online, they've got like a little text online. It's on the little card there you can text in. It's actually really cool. I've been getting them, and you can click on it. It's got like a 30-second like a video, which kind of guides you in prayer for the day. And we, we really want to pray well this month. So if you're a part of Radius, I'm really not asking. I'm, I'm, whatever you're doing, right between telling and asking, like let, this, this is a big deal for us. We really want to know where the Lord directs us going forward. 
I said it already, moms pray like, like nobody else, probably because they love like nobody else. In our room, we'll have some praying on a Mother's Day in pain, working through some grief, wishing they could have a child. That's always true on Mother's Day. So today, I really like to talk because of, even because of that pain, I, like it's, it's good for our body to empathize with one another and the pains that go along with mothering or the lack of mothering. Multiple stories in the Bible of women that were praying to be able to bear a child. And we, we have that going on here. We have some praying to be able to adopt a child. We've got some who've lost their mother this year. Both sons and daughters that have lost their mother. And so this is the first Mother's Day without your mom. And we're really, really glad to have you here. I'm excited to get to pray for you here in just a second. We've got some who've lost a child. I know of a couple that could not be here today because of the deep grief of losing a child in the last year or two. And then we have some in the room that have just been deeply wounded by their mother. So it's an awkward day. Mother's Day doesn't seem like a celebration. It might seem like you're going through the motions a little bit. Good to sit in a room together. Those of us that know Jesus, we, we really depend on him on a day like today. We got moms in the room, and if you don't know Jesus and your mom's in the room and she does, she's been praying for you. She prays probably uh, more than daily for you to believe. Moms pray like crazy when their kids are hurt or in danger. They just go to another level, and we appreciate that. And so we want to take a couple minutes and pray. I have a gift, evidently, for making everybody in a room awkward, so I'm going to do that just to, just to uh, keep up that tradition. I'm going to watch the clock, and for two minutes, we're going to pray, which doesn't mean I'm going to pray. It means we're going to pray. And some of you are like, bro, nobody told me that when I was coming in the door. But no pressure. You don't have to pray out loud. So just if, if you'd like to pray out loud, if you're with your mom and you know Jesus, you want to lean in and pray out loud over your mom, do. Moms, this is like your free reign. Like nobody prays around you. You just grab somebody, put your head on their hand, and, and pray for them if you want to. Like it's, this is your day. If, uh, hey, if you're a partner here and there's somebody around you that, that uh, you think you ought to join to pray, please do. We just want to take just two minutes. It's funny. If you've never prayed before, two minutes seems like, like two hours, right? And for some of y'all that are long-winded, two minutes seems like two seconds. So for, for y'all, shorten it up a little bit, all right? We're, we're going to pray for a minute. And I'm going to uh, just be quiet and I'll close this. So please pray. Pray with somebody near you. Pray out loud if you're willing.
Father, thank you for all the moms in the room. I pray that you would uh, care for them today. The ones that have deep pain, Lord, we pray that you would meet them. And you'd be their comforter today as you have promised. Many of them have great joy today. Pray, Lord, that you would meet them in their joy and they could uh, just take the, take the day in. We thank you for their work. We pray that you give them energy for their work as they love us. And uh, we pray that you give them uh, the opportunity to see some fruit from that great work. It is a joy, Lord, for me to stand up here and listen to folks pray in little circles and some just sit and pray in their minds. Lord, it's, it's, it's a joy for me to be a part of that. Pretty cool to see a couple sons in the room praying for their mom. It's a beautiful sight, Lord. We, we want that. Teach us how to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for that. When you're young, nobody knows you like your mama. Right? Like she knows all about you. First 18 years, like she's got you figured out like nobody else does. As a matter of fact, sometimes that absolutely annoys my children. I can still remember one college son coming home and his mom, perhaps in the wrong tone, was communicating some truth to, to him. Anybody else ever experienced this? Sh Cheryl's kind of going after him a little bit, and, and I'm standing over there just watching because it's kind of fun sometimes to watch somebody else hear the truth. And... Uh, and uh, I'm looking at him. She leaves the room, and I go, hey, you, you know she's right, right? He goes, I know. So frustrating. She's always right. <laughs> and the, the reason is because she know, knew him. She knows how he thinks. She knows who he needs to be around. She has this good idea what he ought to try to do because she, she knows him. Who knows you? Like that was 0 to 18, and a bunch of y'all look a little older than 18. Like, I, I, who, who knows you, like, inside out? I listened to a lady named Beth Moore. She's kind of a famous speaker, and she's spe speaking actually on this passage, and she asked everybody. I thought it was brilliant. She did a show of hands, which I'm not really a show of hands kind of guy. But she, she did a show of hands of who really, like, how many people really know you? She started with 20. Like, how many of you have 20 people in your life that really know you? And I guess some people raised their hand, and she, she worked it down to 10. How many people in the room have 10 people that really know them? And then she went to five, and she goes, like, if it's anywhere over two, why don't you round up to five and raise your hand for, for, for five? Like, does, does anybody in your life really, really know you? Great question. I thought it was a brilliant way to open up this particular passage because nothing like being known. It's no uh, joy that hardly compares to really being known all the way through. In the first part of your life, your mama knows you. And hopefully, uh, if you're a part of Radius, and this is your church home, you've invested some here, and now you could say more people know me. You've opened up your life a little bit and say people, people know me more than they ever have before. Some of us grew up holding our cards really tight. Don't want anybody to see us. And it's kind of shocking what happens when you play one with some people that you trust and, and allow them to know you. It's, it's a gift, and I want that for you. We, uh, we start a little series. We're going through... Uh, a couple books in the Bible, and, and it, it, it's complex, but it's about a guy named David. 
This guy named David, if you grew up in church, you've heard about him. He's kind of famous in the Bible. There's lots and lots of chapters dedicated to him. If you haven't grown up in church, this be like this is one of the most famous people in the Bible, and the Bible tries to capture a lot of his story. It basically tells his biography in, in a couple books, and then we get to see some stuff that he wrote as well. Last week we said David can fight. That he, if he walked in the room right now, every dude in here that thinks they could fight, you'd see David like, ah, I don't want none of that. That dude can fight. He's been in a few fights. I don't want to mess with him. He could lead. We'd love to have him on the ballot here soon. We'd love to have somebody that could lead like that. Uh, and then this week, I just want to add something you maybe didn't expect. He can rhyme. I mean, he writes poems. He can play a harp. He, he's a musician. I, you just never see that together, like a dude who can fight. And he can also, I won't say write, because he may not have been able to read or write, but he could rhyme. Like, he wrote these poems. And back in the day, when you say he wrote the poem, they, he, he potentially created them in his mind and could speak them orally. And then maybe someday later in life, somebody wrote them down. So there's 70-plus psalms in the book of Psalms in, in the Bible. There's 150 total. He wrote about half of them, probably only orally, and somebody wrote it down for him. He, he was this guy who was both a fighter and, and an artist. And then last week, we kind of finished that with, he's a friend of God. And this particular psalm, this particular piece of art um, is powerful. It seems really appropriate for Mother's Day. It might get in your business a little bit. Let me read a little bit of it to you. Again, this, this is a dude who can fight. So when you, when you read it, you got to get, oh, Lord, you've examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know, when I sit down and when I stand up, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home, you know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. So he breaks up his poem, song, into four sections. That's the first section. And he says about God... You know everything. I love the line where he says, you're in front of me and you're behind me. Like, you, you, you're, you know everything. It's a big word if you want to show off tomorrow at work or at school. It's called omniscience. Omniscience. All for omni. Knowledge for science. All-knowing. David's writing about his God, and he's saying that he's all-knowing. I'll give you a quick definition. His perfect knowledge of all things, but he has perfect knowledge of all things, both actual and potential. That means that God never Googles anything. He already knows it. I don't know about you, but I get on the plane, and I'm hoping the pilot knows more than me. I go to Walgreens, I'm hoping the pharmacist knows more than me. I need people around me that know stuff. When I go to Best Buy... I love the geek squad because I need people around me that know stuff. God's never needed anybody to know anything. He's all-knowing. Kind of reminds you of a mom, doesn't it? We got grandbabies at the house, and their moms will be in there, and they'll be crying. And I'm trying to figure out what they're crying about. Mom, like, he's, he's teething. His, his gums hurt. That's what he's crying about. And then, then the next thing you know, he's hungry. I'm how can you tell he's hungry? He's just crying. They're like, what's the big deal? And then the next thing you know, like, like she's sleepy. She's not really being bad. She's just sleepy. And I'm a little bit of a disciplinarian, so I want to stop the crying, right? Because it, it's stressful for the granddads. I'm going to go ahead and speak for all the granddads. All that crying is stressful. And then the next thing you know, she'll be trying to get in the cabinet, and then her mom will go, she knows better than that. 
how can you tell she knows better now? She was just crying because her gums were hurting, and now you're telling me you can tell by the look on her face that she can't get in there. How do moms know all this stuff? And then you get to be about 17, and your mama wakes up at night, and your dad gets his sleep interrupted, and she'll go something like, I'm really worried about blank. And I'll be like, it's 11.30 p.m. I'm worried about sleep and work tomorrow. And she'll say something like, he just didn't look right today. <laughs> Baby, he ate like nine pieces of pizza. There was nothing wrong with that child. And she's like, nah, some, something's wrong with him. And then, and then she, can, can we pray? I'm like, Baby, I love, I mean, I'm willing to pray with you, but not. Well, I've been asleep for an hour, right? Like, she, Moms kind of know this stuff that you can't actually see. They, they know this stuff, and yet moms... Like, you'd kind of like to know everything, so you'd know what's going on all the time, and then sometimes you're really glad you don't know everything, right? Our God, he is all-knowing, and let me tell you something. Every person in this room, you are fully known by God. He knows you. He knows everything about you. I was sitting at Zoe's. I got this little spot at Zoe's. This is what happens. Guys in the room, get to your 50s, you got to eat as always some because, because five guys stops working, starts working against you. So you go as always some. I got this spot as always. I sit, and I'm, I'm kind of going through my notes. Yesterday, I got my back turned, and like four or five college girls sit right behind me at the table, which is awesome because you're not looking at them, so they don't know you're listening, which is pretty funny. Never mind. Anyway, they're, they're, they're talking. I got one like. 35, so she's the, um, the senior of the group. She's like 35. She's sitting back there. And one of them is going through her phone. It must be some kind of dating app, and they're evaluating each guy. It was classic. I wish I could have recorded it. Like guy after guy, like they're telling all these, whatever's on those things, like all the details about the guy. And, and they would talk, and they talk, and eventually, you know, they come to one guy, ooh, he's hot. You know, that's going on behind. I really want to turn around. Like, can I see? No, but I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> And eventually, they, they get to talk, and they stop on one, and then the 35-year-old, which was brilliant, you appreciate this lady, she'll go, does he love Jesus? That was her line the whole time. Every time they stop on one, there was no, she was relentless. Does he love Jesus? And they'll be like, he says something about Jesus down in here somewhere. I mean, he's hot. He's got to love Jesus, right? Like, <laughs> I want to turn around like, it don't matter if he says he loves Jesus. <laughs> Let me meet him and evaluate it for you. Like, there's, there's this, there was this crazy thing that a young woman often goes through wanting to be known put you in some really vulnerable spots, potentially, that just deeply, deeply want somebody to know you. The Bible, David, speaking about God, says that you are fully known. On one level, that's really good news, right, that God knows me, and you're like, God knows me? Hey, I'm a pastor. Every time I walk into a conversation, I'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, pastor. Like they didn't want me to know that about them, right? Uh, every once in a while, Cheryl will get a little fired up at me in the yard, and we'll start getting fired up at each other. And all of a sudden, we go, like, now the neighbors know. Like, you don't want everybody to know everything, right? Like, Cheryl's like, the neighbors are like, I know, I want them to hear this. <laughs> like, no, there's, there's, this, there's this, like, being known's great, and on the flip side, it's got this, this other part. Let, let me just say this. I want you to hear it, hear it clearly. He knows everything about you. And he still sacrificed his son on the cross to save you. That's good news. That's amazing news. 
as well as he knows you, he was still willing to crucify his son on your behalf. Amen. I don't know if you guys, a lot of times this is difficult for us to get, but because he knows us so intimately, it opens up this possibility for us to play that card and be real and potentially have men and, and people in our lives that really know us. It's one of the dreams here at Radiant. We, we, want, we want folks to have people that know them. It's one of the best parts about life, having somebody really, really know you. And you get freed to do that when Christ sets you free. When, when you acknowledge that you're a sinner and he saves you, now all of a sudden, I don't have to hold all my cards I can play one and really let somebody in. David said, God knows me. And then he says in the, in the second portion, I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask for darkness to hide me and the light around me would become to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as the day, and darkness and light are the same to you. So in the first section, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing. In this section, he's omnipresent. He's all-present. Definition of om omnipresence, his complete essence is fully present in all places at all times. So he knows you because of his all-knowing, all but he also knows you because he's always there. We look out Mountain, Tennessee. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's beautiful. up That's where Rock City is. You've probably seen the signs. We're up at the top. There's a college there visiting my parents. I got three or four kids. I don't, I don't remember how many. We got a bunch of kids. And um, Israel, my third child, I don't know. Y'all got one of these. He, he's probably three or four. He's kind of like a wanderer. Anybody else got like this? At the time when he was young, his head was about as big as his body. Anybody else have that? Like, and he would just walk around kind of looking around. And uh, he had a little high voice. And so he would, he would kind of talk and talk to anybody he saw. And he'd just wander around. It was, it was great. And kind of try to figure out what, what is he really thinking about? Because he's obviously focused on something. And so we're hanging out with my mom and dad, and, you know, gra you know, grandmas, you know what you do. Like, my mom's bragging on all the kids. Like, when you get to be a grandma, you can just brag, and nobody cares. You just brag. And so she's bragging, and the next thing you know, somebody goes, where's Israel? I'm like, I don't know. You look around a little bit. You assume. I'm optimist. I'm like, he's, around, he's right around here. And then what do you do next? You start blaming people like, Mariah, you're supposed to be watching Israel. Where, where's Israel? 30 minutes later. Now, this is a mother's worst nightmare. 30 minutes later, we find Israel. A, a lady, as I recall, walks out from behind a building where evidently Israel had wandered. His little three-year-old self had wandered back behind the building. He was lost. Now, he didn't know he was lost because he looked really calm coming back to see us. But Cheryl and I, like, we probably lost a couple years off our life for those 30 minutes wondering where our child was, desperate for our child. But you know who was there? God was. He was present behind that building. We started thinking, man, there's some drop-offs. There's all kinds of stuff that scare you as a parent and you love a child. God was there, though. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. His essence was right there with our child. That means that he's never missed a game. He's at every ceremony. 
I go to the games. I skip the ceremonies if possible. Uh, he's seen every tear. He's watched you every time you've laughed. He knows about that time you were wronged on the job. He was there. He sat beside you while you stared at the computer screen, no matter what appeared. He was in that hotel room. He was there when they left. He was there when she died. He was there when you failed. He's omnipresent. He knows you. He knows you, but he knows you because he's there. And he still saved you. Despite all that he knows and all that he's seen and all that he's watched you participate. And he offers you, with that death, friendship. He already knows you, but as you read David write about this, it seems like he's talking about something more personal. Like He doesn't want to just intellectually know you. He doesn't want to just be there by being omnipresent. He wants to know you as a friend. He wants you to want him there. The verses go on. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. I love that line. How well I know it. That sounds like a teenage boy looking in the mirror, right? Like, look at that, Lord. You are amazing. <laughs> uh, you wanted me as I was being formed in utter, utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you, saved me you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me. Oh, God, they cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They are outnumbered the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. So we saw him as omniscient. He knows everything. Omnipresent, he's everywhere. And here in his creative ability, we get to see him as all-powerful, omnipotent, three omnis. Our amazing God has the power to create. And in this particular passage, it is shocking how interested he is in a child in the womb. I don't know if you've noticed. You look around Radius lately. There's more than 10 pregnant women. Not that we've noticed lately. There's 10 pregnant women there, like Barely saw it. Like, and, and there's this work going on in their womb. The same God that spoke and told the sun to exist says that he's at work in the womb of a mother weaving together, like with, with all the care and delight and masterful creativity, weaving together the next generation, the next soul. He's putting it all together. And by, by the way, if you're a teenage girl, he got it right. He made you exactly how he wanted you to be. <laughs> Almighty God put you together. He got the pigment of your skin just right. He got your height just right. He got your hair. I know you've worked on the hair some, but he's got your hair just right. Like he got, and some of us, <laughs> like, like it's leaving just right. Like he had all that, all that, all that, all that figured out. He uh, gave you just the right intellect. Yeah, you can work on it some, but he, he gave you that potential, athleticism, 
creativity, all the things that you have. God put that together in your mother's womb. It is, it is crazy. The word NLT uses the word complex. He talks about its marvelous workmanship. It's a beautiful story of a child being put together in a mother's womb. It would be strange to read that passage and not speak of what's on the newsreel right now, right? Like uh, if you were going to take a verse of the Bible or a group of verses, these might be the best to uh, argue against abortion. Those of y'all that know me know that politically I am somewhat disinterested. I generally make fun of both sides of the aisle anytime I talk about it. I just don't see this as a political issue. I see it as a moral issue. When I read this passage, pretty shockingly in verse 16, he says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. When did the clock start? At conception. The clock started. Your life started at conception. And so you have the almighty God who speaks the stars into existence, creating a human life in a womb at conception and beginning to count, beginning to know you as his creation. It is beautiful. And then when we think about uh, the Supreme Court case that will come up again, man, I don't know about you, but I'm excited. Man, I hope they overturn Roe versus Wade and I got no political agenda. Because if you were going to name the two awful stains on American history, you would name abortion and slavery. Both assaults, direct assaults on God's creative ability. And so we hope that Roe versus Wade is overturned just like we celebrated the Emancipation Proclamation, which is why I'm, I'm a son of the South, why I'm so glad we lost the Civil War. Slavery was awful. Abortion is awful. We read this passage, you recognize how it spits in the face of a creative God. All those things that attack his ability to make a man or a woman in his own image. So we got all that about God's omnipotence, his power to create in the womb, which is shocking. And then you flip to the New Testament and you see Jesus sit with a guy named Nicodemus. And what does he say to Nicodemus? All morality aside, you must be born again. So all that work that the creative almighty God did to form you as a human, then he says to you, you still, you must be born again. Because you can't be moral enough. You're a sinner, says Romans. Everybody in the room, we've, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're equally lost before the living God. So it puts us in a position where we should never really be self-righteous. As a matter of fact, even considering the issue we just talked about, if you must be born again, then, then a lady who has, has had an abortion can absolutely believe there's, she's, she's failed in that particular moment, but God offers her salvation, offers to make her born again. So potentially, a lady who has, has lost a child in that way, we'll see her in heaven, and we'll see the pro-life demonstrator in hell. 
if she's not believed in Jesus. He says that despite your morality, there's no room for self-righteousness. You must be born again, which means that we could see a slave owner in heaven and a slave in hell because it's all based on his work on the cross, which gives us access to the Father, which allows me to call the great God of the Bible dad despite where I've been. A powerful concept that the God who knows me, right, everything about me, he's been everywhere I've ever been. In his omnipotence, he created me in my mother's womb, so he knows how my intestines work. And he knows the exact shade of these eyes of mine. And yet he was willing to save me and offer this amazing opportunity to be born again into his family. Is a uh, really crazy close to this great song. The final set, the fourth set, doesn't sound great for Mother's Day. I'm going to go ahead and warn you. He says, oh, God, if you would only destroy the wicked, get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh, Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with a total hatred. For your enemies are my enemies. David talking. He's been all about God. He's been so moving. And all of a sudden, he's like, I hate all your enemies. And like, it gets intense. You're like, David, what, what are you doing? And you flip to the New Testament. And just to, I'll probably send you out the door with a little chaos on this. He's like, I hate my enemies. And then what, what does Jesus say? To love your enemies. So the king of glory, the one who established his kingdom on earth, not King David, who led who led a, a small group of people for a season, God's people, but the king of glory, Jesus, says to forgive your enemies, to love them. It's kind of interesting conundrum to put yourself in. Just, just to maybe help you process a little bit. As I process and I'm looking at those first three things, David's overwhelmed by God. I don't know if you caught it in verse 6. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand as he's contemplating who God is, it's, it's overwhelming him. You can just see him kind of coming apart as he's understanding the greatness of God. And in my mind, as you read it, without overthinking, I'm like, he's just saying, God, whoever you hate, I hate. You hate it, I hate. I'm with you. The God who knows everything, who's everywhere and is all-powerful, whatever you say, I want to be in alignment with you. And he makes it really personal. But I know from reading the New Testament what God hates. What does God hate? Sin. He hates sin. So I want to hate it too. It's my enemy. It's out to destroy me, and it's directly opposed to God. I hate sin, and yet sin sneaks up on me daily, regularly. You? Like I hate it, and yet I, I battle with it. I hate it, and yet I battle with it. So I try to position myself in a place where I hate sin and don't participate in it. It's a lifelong battle. He closes with this last phrase. We'll help you with it a little bit. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Did you catch that? He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. What did he say in the very first verse of this psalm? He's right. O Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. Flip to the end, and he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. That's pretty amazing uh creative 
poetry as David takes the beginning, says, you know everything about me. And at the end, he says, search me. No matter why is he doing that? He's already proclaimed God knows everything about him. Now it's, it's, it's like a different level. It's like this personal level. Like, Lord, I know you know everything about me. Scan me again. Like, give me another blood test. Check, check me again. I, I just, just spoke all this about your greatness, and now it seems like he's stewing on his holiness a little bit as he's talking about who, what God may hate. As you think about him hating sin, would you, would you, could I dare you? I don't know if the pastor's allowed to, could I dare you to quote that first line, search me, O God, and know my heart, and give him permission even, even right now to scan you and just see what comes out. Because if he is what David just said he was in the first three chapters, you're going to want to be right with him. He's got this great line, second line, moms. If there was a great line in here that you, you could identify with, he says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Every mom, every grandma I know battles with some anxious thoughts. Trying to get it right for little Jimmy, right? Try, trying to get life right. Trying to control it. To get it just right, there's a, there's a great passage in Philippians that uh, speaks to anxiety and worry. Here's what it says in the NLT. Don't worry about anything. Easy for you to say, right, Paul? Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Moms, what a, what a great thing to do on Mother's Day to recognize who God is. Omniscient, omnipresent. And omnipotent. He knows where your child is right now. He sits in the dorm room. He's uh, way far way across the world if your child's on another side of the world. He's at school. He says, hey, when you have anxious thoughts, when you start worrying, just pray. Talk to me. I'm there. And then finally says, point out everything in me that offends you. What a crazy statement. Like, like David is praying, one, for, for his own good. Like, point out everything in here that offends you because I want to be aligned with you because you are the great one. So it's, it's to God's glory, but it's also for his good. And so you can really relate. First Corinthians, they're, they're passing around the bread and juice in a little town called Corinth. And Paul's a little annoyed with them because they're not handling it well. In chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, he's addressing this very meal. We call it the Lord's Supper. And he says, before you take the bread and break it, which represents Christ's body, before you drink the cup and drink it, which represents Christ's blood, what's he say? Examine yourself. So every Sunday, we, we set it up front, and we assume as you make your march up to take the bread and juice that you paused, as Paul's asked us, and examined yourself. Because you're coming to participate in something that made you righteous. So you would assume that you wouldn't come up here without having confessed your grievances before the living God. Like, that just makes sense, right? Like, why would you come participate in something that made you completely righteous and not confess your sins before you come? Oftentimes, you'll see a husband and wife get the little lean in before they come up. I love it. Cheryl and I have had to meet in the corner. 
because it was that bad before we came to church. Let, let's get this right before we go celebrate that we've been made righteous by Christ's blood. Let's get this right. Let's examine ourselves and then enjoy his sacrifice and celebrate a death to his glory and to our good. Love you, moms. Thank you for your good work. Moms, dads, children, it's a powerful song. Let it wash over you. Let's pray together. Father, I trust you with your word. I had a lot of comments about it, but it's plenty powerful without me putting any words around it. I pray that you take your word and remind us of it as we go out. Really appreciate the moms in our room and the work that they do. I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you give them energy for the work, that you give them a wisdom in how they lead in their home. You give them perseverance in how they serve and serve and serve. Lord, they know when to discipline and when to show affection. For the ones that doing that alone I pray that you remind them even this morning that you're with them and not alone for those longing one way or another because of the pain of mother and motherhood I pray that you would uh, be a great comforter this morning listen to us as we sing Lord we want to give you glory on this morning we love you amen <laughs>